This is the FS Tech Podcast. Hello and welcome to this FS Tech Podcast. I'm Jonathan Easton, editor of FS Tech, and joining me today to discuss the state of CX in financial services is David Porter, Managing Director of Financial Services at Omnichannel Customer Experience and Contact Center Solutions Expert, Genesis. The role of an FI's approach to customer experience, or CX, is something which should never be underestimated. With the wealth of options available to customers in 2023, whether they are consumers or enterprise, banks, insurers and other financial institutions need to look for ways that they can stand out from the crowd. Genesis, our guest for today, has recently published its State of Customer Experience Europe report, which presents a fascinating and illuminating insight into this area and, to use its words, uncovers how rapidly shifting customer preferences and declining satisfaction with digital channels are creating mounting business risks for organisations worldwide. It lays out that while just under two-thirds of banking executives believe that continuous innovation is raising customer expectations, almost half said their bank is failing to keep pace. The report also finds that fragmented customer journeys are significantly impacting the overall banking experience, with only 26% of consumers saying they felt welcomed when opening an account, and only 23% saying their bank understands their financial needs and provides relevant, meaningful financial coaching. This is clearly a major issue for banks and other financial institutions and joining me to discuss what these organizations can do to improve their approach to CX is David Porter, Managing Director of Financial Services at Genesis. Thanks for being here today, David. Thank you, Jonathan. So I touched on some in the introduction, but what are some common pain points that customers face when interacting with financial services that you guys have identified? Well, sure. Um, well, first, thank you for uh, having me on the podcast, Jonathan. And firstly, just a word about Genesis. So Genesis is a West Coast based technology company. We've been in business for 30 plus years. Our largest single industry vertical is banking. So I'm here to talk about that today. And my personal background is all banking like JP Morgan Chase, American Express, Lloyd's. It's all I've ever done. In terms of what we deliver, like what do we do? So Genesis supplies much of the client connectivity technology to banks all around the world. So whether it's voice, um, text, uh, email, messaging, et cetera, like that's what we do. Now, in terms of pain points, well, let me first start with awesome progress. Like in the last 10 years, um, so I'm gonna start with the positives. Um, banking has come an awful long way in terms of how you can bank remotely, simply, easily, safely. And my acid test to that is always like the pandemic. Like, how did the pandemic impact our day-to-day financial lives? Well, for most of us, not very much, right? And if you think of how you bank today, did you check your bank account today or over the weekend? Did you transfer money from one account to another? Did you transfer money to a friend or a family member? Did you pay some bills online? Did you pay some bills with your app? These are all kind of fast fabulous experiences. So banking's come a long way and these things you couldn't do 10 years ago. So awesome progress. But in terms of pain points, um, there are some things that we could do better at as an industry. And actually you mentioned one of them in your intro, which is account opening. Now account opening is actually pretty good for simple products like 
um, on your bank site or you're on some travel site, you see an ad, get your American Express credit card, get some other credit card from somebody else, click on the app, get 100,000 points, open the account, and three days later, it shows up in the mail. It's simple, it's easy. Simple product, simple process works well. Complex products, opening the account for a mortgage, that's quite hard. A brokerage account, retirement, these things are actually quite difficult. And I can recall just advice from somebody out of industry, from the Ritz-Carlton, a chief operating officer there saying, hey, look, I mean, when you have complex things to take care of for clients, people judge the quality of the institution by the first person that you come into contact with to actually do something. And some of those account opening processes that I just mentioned, mortgage, brokerage, uh, retirement, you actually need both digital, self-serve and people. So you've got to make sure those things work in harmony. If they don't, that first account opening process can be really hard. So that, that's a tough one. It's still a pain point. The second pain point, I think, is, and I mentioned retirement, but that whole retirement budget planning space. Did you have a good week or a good month financially? I'm not quite sure. Can I afford to buy this? I'm not quite sure. I'm just looking at a balance in a bank account. Banking could do better at giving people advice and kind of a thumbs up, thumbs down, a red, amber, green sign in terms of like these kind of simple questions that we all have. So I think that retirement space is super important. And an acid test, an old banker friend of mine used to say is, look, you can look at somebody and say, how much time have you spent this year planning the next 30 years of your financial life? And somebody will go, oh, well, I'm not quite sure. You probably spent more time planning your two-week summer vacation. And that's just, and that's human nature all around the world, by the way. So that kind of retirement planning space, I think, is still a pain point for everyone. And then thirdly, just out of normal activities. Um, so think of some kind of slightly obscure thing, like I want to recover the contents of a dormant safety deposit box. That's, that's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. So kind of out of the norm activities are still hard things to do with banks. So that's kind of just, a, I think, an overview of some of the pain points that certainly still exist today. Mm, very, very interesting. And and certainly it seems as though, uh, yeah, banks could be doing more in that regard. It uh, feels as though from a, from a general consumer perspective, more people pay attention to to kind of consumer rights advocates like Martin Lewis and these kinds of things and look for them for their financial advice rather than their banks, which, you know, a bank, it shows that there is a, a gap there which banks should be filling. Uh, so on that point, do you think that banks in 2023 do enough to listen to and react to the wants and needs of their customers? Well, I started with a positive in terms of banking kind of progress. So, well, let me start, I'm afraid, with a negative here. No, 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 no. And, and banks have what they call rather kind of academically listening posts where they'll listen to, you know, clients like either executive um, complaints or um, kind of call monitoring, client surveys, etc. Um, but these are all somewhat mechanical things. Now, surveys are important, but surveying, you ask a client, what do you want, which is a typical thing like a bank will ask. Well, of course, if you ask somebody what they want from a bank, they'll always say the same three things. They'll say, well, I want lower fees. I want better rates and better service. It's what they always say. They probably said it 50 years ago. They say it today. They'll say it in 20 years' time. Don't ask people that. Ask people, like, what are the astonishing experiences that you've had from other brands? Then go look at see what they are. 
And of course, other brands are really driving kind of technological kind of anticipations and wants and needs. Google, Amazon, Uber, Microsoft, etc. They're raising the bar in terms of kind of like living our everyday lives in a simple, straightforward way. Go, go see what they're doing. Um, so that kind of client surveying, I think, is important. Then secondly, I used to work for American Express years ago, and Amex did a really good job at this. Mystery shopping, like mystery shop. And I don't mean if you're Barclays, go and look at what Lloyd's are doing, or here in the US, if you're Chase, go and look at what City's doing. Like, no, <laughs> frankly, they're all doing the same thing. You just change the color of the brand and the logo. But go to like Turkey or Israel or New Zealand, you can find some crazy things that people are trying and doing. And those, I think that mystery shopping is really vital to uncovering new things, fast adoption of better service experiences, better CX. And, and that's that's really the way to go. Certainly, it's interesting what you say about mystery shopping and looking at different markets, because I know I've, I've got lots of friends who are based in the States. And, you know, I'll, I'll talk about the experience of going out for dinner with some friends and I'll say, oh, you know, I just paid for it and they sent me the money afterwards. And they're yeah. like, what, so they like Venmoed it to you? No, no, it wasn't like a third party app with processing fees and whatever. They just send it to my account. They've got me in my contacts and it was very, very straightforward. And it's just that if you're not operating in that space, you can be blind to what's going on outside of it. 100% right. So that kind of, now it's expensive. And for a bank executive to say, I'm going to have a small team of people, they're going to mystery shop, you know, wander around the world, like kind of taking notes, experiencing opening accounts, et cetera. It's hard for a bank executive to justify that, but you have to, you just do. Otherwise, you're not going to get the insights that you need. Absolutely. Um, I just want to go back to one thing that you mentioned in, in your introduction, um, talking about the pandemic and how that had changed our approaches. And certainly we saw not just in the pandemic, but over the past decade, as you noted, uh, this real shift to online digital banking services. Um, but a big concern is vulnerable people who might get left behind. So the elderly people who don't necessarily have access to mobile phones and things like that um so what 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 can banks do to ensure that these customers aren't left behind so it's not just banks i think there are different kind of bodies and entities um, that can be helpful in this space uh, so the first one is government and in the u.s uh, congress in 1977 passed what's called the community reinvestment act the cra and that basically encourages financial institutions to help meet the needs um, of low moderate income neighborhoods, people, etc. And this has direct impact. And you'll see like large North American banks who, frankly, economically would like to close bank branches in uh, non-affluent neighborhoods, if I could put it that way. And they can't because the CRA won't let them. Now, in the UK, the FCA does not actually have a real equivalent of the CRA. And there have been various attempts over the years to look at it. And I would say from the first point would be maybe that's something else that, you know, um, the right person should bring to the table and have another look at um, in that there are some decent qualities and guardrails within the CRA that um, I think could be equally applicable in other markets. The kind of second it's less kind of an entity, it's more kind of a, a thing that's emerging is in the fintech space. Um, so fintechs have been really aggressive, particularly in, this, in the credit space, about going after kind of like non-traditional audiences. 
and they've been doing it with great branding they've been doing it with kind of like low intro pricing they've been doing it with kind of like really good kind of technology um, analytical models um, to kind of give them information that will encourage them to kind of lend and they feel they can do that in the right way to um, maybe a kind of underbanked populations so that's interesting there's also a downside to that which is you know fintechs they're all about the tech not really about the fin and by that i mean they don't really have a balance sheet because they're not bringing in deposits and um, so you're reliant on interest rates in the market to like get your money to then loan out interest rates are high these fintechs can be facing and are facing frankly kind of like um difficult economic times right now that means their pricing models to their clients um have become less generous let's put it that way which means it's easy to trick into default pricing pricing status um, which is not so good, um, particularly for underbanked, like low-income uh, populations. So that's a bit of a mixed bag. But then there's a third kind of area to focus on, which I think are kind of new standards. And in terms of lending standards around the world, you know, large banks use FICO scores, credit history, et cetera, bureau reports from TransUnion experience, et cetera, to um, basically kind of help them with the underwriting models and to assist in their credit decisioning. These models really don't work for underbanked and unbanked populations. Thus, they don't get credit. And back to new standards, what I really mean by that is, let's, if you're a minority woman, a single mother, and you want to start a small business, you might not have a credit history and you won't get a loan from a bank. But maybe she has three kids. Maybe she's on a really tight budget and her organizational skills, her budgeting skills, her ability to kind of balance priorities have been really honed over the last five, 10 years. Banks today don't look at those skills and those responsibilities and meeting those responsibilities and reward them with credit. And I think they don't reward them with credit because there's not a good way to measure those attributes. If we can find a way to measure those attributes, then I think we're on a better path for providing better credit in a mainstream way to these audiences. And I think that would be a major breakthrough and it's just not happened yet. I'd love to see it happening. So if you're out there, call me, we can we can talk about this. Yeah, that's very interesting. Certainly you see lots of discussion around uh, credit scores and that kind of stacking the deck against not just people in, in that situation that you, you've just described, but you know, younger people who are looking to get a mortgage or something like that where they don't have credit, but they've, you know, someone living in central London with housemates is paying £1,200 a month for rent, but they so they can clearly afford to pay £600 a month on a mortgage, but they don't have the credit, you know, all these sorts of things. That's correct. And if, if I give that some nuance, though, um, I really in that answer kind of looked at underbanked and unbanked populations. The population you're describing, like maybe you're kind of three years out of university, you know, you're kind of still in your first or second job, you, you know, you want to buy an apartment or a flat, you just can't because you haven't got a million pounds, you know, lying around to kind of put a deposit down on a house in London, or frankly, not just London. Whether you're in Sydney, New York, Los Angeles, Barcelona, it doesn't matter. They're all equally expensive. Um, that's more of a price dynamic, obviously. And uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. <laughs> you know, that's it's just you know. Well, it shows that that you know whilst uh, 
the focus of of that question is obviously, uh, as we're saying, underserved and and uh, and more vulnerable customers. Shows that there are failings in the system at all levels that impact all people, and the industry should be working to improve those things. Uh, so we, we've mentioned a few things there, a few issues, a few pain points. But generally, what do you think specifically around the customer experience piece? What are the greatest challenges around improving that? Well, let's talk about a couple of areas where we could absolutely look for improvement and then maybe touch upon, well, why, right? Um, so maybe a first area is personalization. So look, maybe six years ago, you, Jonathan, received communications from your bank that said, dear valued customer, right? <laughs> that didn't feel very good. And today, you know, it's a, you get a letter from the bank or an email that says, dear Jonathan, you're like, well... Yeah, that's polite, right? It's nice, but it's not really personalized. And by that, I mean personalization like a, a dear Jonathan or a dear David or like having my address right when you're going to send me something. It's, it seems necessary, but it's not really personalization. So for me, I think it needs a, a kind of a litmus test. It needs um, a definition. So for me, personalization happens when banks align people and technology to prioritize and give you the customer the right solutions to your challenges immediately, right? So immediate satisfaction of the challenge that you have, the need that you have like right now, and people and technologies aligned to do that. And by the way, with new technology, which we could maybe talk about, anticipating what it is that you might want tomorrow or the challenge that you might have next week, um, technologists are getting good enough to be able to do that. So I think that's kind of personalization that people are looking for. And I think that's probably one of the next steps in kind of CX and breakthrough in banking, anticipating needs, wants, uh, and having the right kind of alignment of product, people, resource, and technology to fix those issues. Now, that's getting slightly kind of ahead of ourselves, though. But here's kind of a, a more normal kind of CX challenge, which is if you're a bank, you might say, look, when people call us, we have what's called a first call resolution rate of 90%. That means for 90% of the time when somebody calls us, we deal with that issue on the phone straight away, 90% of the time. We feel awesome about that. It's a really good metric. And we just got the best website award in kind of like, you know, uh, European banking, UK banking. We feel awesome. Oh, and our top digital app, you know, monthly just gave us the best kind of app in banking award for uh, 2023. So we feel great. And you should feel great, except here's how kind of the standard banking flow works, right? You try and do something on your app. It doesn't work. That's mm, a pain. You crack open your laptop, go online, and then you try and do what you want to do. That doesn't work. Then finally you call, right? Banks don't do a good job joining together those channels so that they can see, hey, there's clearly an issue here. And in that journey where you finally had to like get to call us and nobody wakes up in the morning saying, I'm calling my bank today. It's going to be awesome, right? Banks don't do a good joining those channels together. Um, so I think that's kind of a, a standard kind of CX um, challenge that needs to get solved. So back to your point, well, why aren't these things being solved for? Well, I think in the first case, think about what banks do. And the primary thing a bank does, the kind of primary kind of intellectual capital it brings to the table is risk management and risk assessment, right? Pricing deposits, loaning money to the right people, um, choosing investment vehicles. It's, it's all about risk. And it takes time to change and do things right. 
and you know like let's fail fast and learn and move forward that doesn't really work in banking like do you want to be the victim of a banking failing fast with your money learning and then getting a new technology right no that's the last thing i want and by the way regulators won't let you do that so it just takes time and so, so that kind of risk factor is super important um, then history is important. Like banks, many banks are built on kind of legacy acquisitions and mergers and acquisitions all coming together. And kind of banks tend to kind of when they take one another over, they turn off the technology of like the existing bank, but then they need to keep some things alive. Then they plug things together and they kind of do it quickly. And then six years later, you're still running on that kind of like kind of band-aided together solution and nobody wants to fix it. And that's a problem in terms of like, you know, bringing better technology, better CX to the table. Banks also run on different systems. So you can have the same bank that has a different core production system for banking, for credit card, for a mortgage, for investments. So when you try and change the address, you've just moved and you have to call and you change, call the number on the back of your credit card. And then you have to change your address on your credit card, then say, sorry, Jonathan, now we need to transfer you to another part of the bank to change the address on your brokerage account. It's not because they want to do that, right? They don't want to deliberately give you a kind of a subpar experience. Just the core systems that are kind of different and to make them talk to each other is hard. So that address change is a bit of a, an acid test of like kind of core production systems being difficult to change. Also, I mentioned regulation. You have most every bank has what they'll call, you know, they have a finite number of technology hours to do cool things in a year. A good chunk of those technology hours get devoted to what they call non-discretionary activities. And non-discretionary is the regulator, the FCA or the SEC told you you had to do it. And if you don't do it, you'll be out of business. So a good chunk, and by good chunk, I mean 70, 80, 90% of technology hours at a bank go to that. Not the discretionary items, which are the fun, nice, cool, new CX things. That, that's kind of like some of the reason why as well. And then finally, I mentioned kind of expectations. Um, you know, I said consumer expectations are being driven by cool kind of like experiences from elsewhere, from like an Uber, from a, an Apple. Well, they're not banks. So they don't have all the regulatory overlay that a bank has. So that kind of gives some of the, some more flavor as to why it just takes time. Like banks want to do a better job. It's just, those are a whole bunch of things you need to navigate. Mm -hmm. It's interesting um, there you cited a couple of companies outside of the uh, typical um, finance space, which have innovated, disrupted. Um, but have you got any particular examples of, of financial institutions that have implemented in innovative strategies to enhance customer experience? And uh, if not, specifically them what do you think uh, financial institutions can learn from these companies not typically associated with the space that are disrupting it oh sure so think of something that's now kind of like mundane for us which is remote check deposit right so you know you take a picture of you know a paper check you know and you snap it into your app you know click go and you know it processes your check right a very mundane like we we do that just to day. interject for the for the younger listeners a check is a thing that you write yes, on a yes. piece of paper <laughs> and that you give that to somebody and that to is somebody money and they write yeah. a, a bit of a code <laughs> along the bottom right right, right. So, so but you might say well where did that technology come from so there's a company in the us it's called usaa and usaa is the financial kind of um body set up to look after servicemen and women in the army air force navy all around the world so, of course, if you're um, a sailor and you're off in Okinawa, 
um, and you want to deposit a check that your, your grandmother just sent you for your birthday, USAA came up with this technology to basically do the remote check capture deposit. It was like 15 years ago. And that is what then kind of led to the technology that every other bank all around the world then licensed to do that. That's really, but it's kind of cool, right? But that was the core need. It was that back to like mystery shopping and surveying your clients. That was the core need. Million, millions and millions of serving people all around the world in the US armed forces needing to cash the checks that their grandmothers had sent them and the technology need to kind of the, 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 came up with a solution. So there are things out there like that. And, and it is kind of continuous. And you see new examples right now, like person-to-person -person payments, uh, particularly in kind of sub-Saharan Africa, where the banking system, you know, is uh, more remote, uh, and people need to kind of like do things, you know. But you know, technology is in the literally in their hands. Um, that's getting quite interesting. Um, some of those technologies don't yet pass scrutiny by regulators in the US or the UK or the EMEA, but we'll get there. Yeah, one example I think of in this of financial institutions learning from outside their typical world. I know it's it, it's something which have been worked on and developed for decades as the whole contactless payments thing. But I always think about it, it was 2003 when the London Underground implemented the Oyster Card. Yeah. And then it was about, I think it was 2007 or something around then when the first contactless cards were issued by Barclays and you can see whilst I don't have you know a paper trail of Barclays looking at TFL and being like oh let's do that you can see the the lineage of people being regular or people being accustomed to doing things in a certain way and then financial institutions reacting to that and implementing it in how they do uh, how you do finance so that's a, that's an interesting similarity there which uh, is is something which you know is an example of other ways that banks can and financial institutions can look outside just the the specific space um we're running out of time here, so I just want to ask you one last question. Um, there's so many questions we could go into, so many topics we go into in terms of uh, technologies that are being implemented, AI, automation, all those kinds of blockchain, all those kinds of buzzwords. But what are the emerging trends and technologies that you're seeing as having the potential to reshape customer experience and finance? Sure. Um... So firstly, AI, machine learning, analytics, data science have over-promised and under-delivered in banking for the last six years. I, I, unless you work in those specific areas, there's not a single bank around the world that would disagree. It's just, that's where we are. But we may actually be at this inflection point. And the inflection point, um, you know, we call them large language models and generative AI, but let's just call, you know, let's go with the brand name ChatGPT. Um, it, it's got a lot of attention and, and rightly so, but of course, it's just it's the fulfillment of years and years of work in the AI space that's finally looking like it can really um, be impactful in our lives. And I kind of have two thoughts about it, like in, in financial services, and I have these thoughts in anticipation of what's going to happen over the next couple of years, because I think there's going to be a lot of change and it will happen quite rapidly. But the first point, it's actually not my point, it's just something I borrowed from an analyst at Morgan Stanley a couple of weeks ago. And the analyst at Morgan Stanley said, look, I mean, chat GPT, it's awesome, but it can hallucinate in that you can ask it like a technical question in financial services that kind of touches upon like investment returns, law, taxes, et cetera. 
and it will give you an intelligent, compelling, right sounding, but absolutely incorrect answer. <laughs> You've got to be really careful. Well, it's it's interesting because I, I saw a similar thing, uh, not just specifically in financial services, but because of how these AIs function. There was one, I, I saw an example of, I don't think it was ChatGPT, I think it was the Google equivalent, where it asked, uh, the question was simple, how many how many times does the letter N appear in the word mayonnaise? And writing it out, M-A-Y-O-N-N-A-I-S-E, um, you know, you'd think two times, that's pretty straightforward. But the bot said four times, because then it, it, it takes one N as one capture the two ends together as another capture and and it just operates in a very different way and it was very interesting to see these things which seem very basic to us but like you're saying uh, these bots are programmed in such a way that the simple stuff can be the hardest correct and but of course they'll get trained and again to age myself but you may remember like gary kasparov playing a chess player playing you know the ibm kind of like deep blue like many years ago and finally the machine beat him and now chess machines are awesome. I mean, unless you're a grandmaster, it's nearly impossible to beat these things. So the technology will evolve and quickly, and it won't take 20 years. Um, so they will get much better. And but, the, that, but the big thing with the chess machine now is uh, the, the, the next step that people are looking at isn't whether the chess machine can play chess well. It's whether the chess machine knows it's playing chess. Correct, which is the worrying part. Um, and that's when you get into kind of like Schwarzenegger and T2 kind of ideas around kind of like, geez, do we really understand all the things that are kind of at play here? And and I think the answer is no. And I think engineers and kind of computer scientists will be the first to say, hey, we're going to keep doing what we do, which is advancing this technology, but we need help from elsewhere, whether it's, you know, theological, philosophical, kind of regulatory to like help have the right standards in place. And to that point, you know, I I had somebody that works for me on Friday kind of pulled it. I asked like, hey, can we get a report on like collections and back office call center? And he just typed it into ChatGPT two minutes later, sent me this report. And I'm like, oh my God, it's awesome. You know, I, I've got like kind of five pages of like incredible taxonomy inside. And it just, and in banking, you know, it, it's interesting because banking traditionally, you know, you recruit people from out of university, they're called analysts, then they become associates, then they become man. There's like a career path. And it was kind of like, and producing this report is something you'd normally get an analyst to do. And you're like, don't need analysts. That's what you said. This machine can do it in two seconds, a better job than somebody would take a week to produce. Um, so that's, uh, for me, it was like, wow, astounding and worrying at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, so you, you, you know, that, that's one element and your broad sentiment towards AI is that it's under-delivered. But what about, are there any technologies which you're seeing, which you, you do seeing genuinely having this positive impact on well, think, uh, customer experience? Yeah, I, I think back to, we, we touched upon un- underwriting and risk. I, I think there's going to be um, better uh, use of technology in that space kind of come, and there is already. We at Genesis use kind of AI to help us with like predictive engagement, which is basically somebody's calling us and we can say, hey, we think this is why they're calling us, right? Jonathan, are you calling us because your credit card got declined yesterday? Oh, yes. Would you like a new credit card? And actually, we don't need a person to do that. A bot can do that. So that's actually kind of interesting and very cool. If you actually need a live person, we use what we call predictive routing to say, Jonathan, we think you would be best connected with Susan um, because her profile matches yours. She's got expertise in the area that we think you're calling us about. 
So we actually real time are using some pretty cool technologies already to help in that banking journey. And of course, our technology is feeding banks all around the world. So you're probably experiencing it already. Yeah, so it's the sorts of things that you uh, you use without realizing, and that's kind of what you want from a customer experience point of view. You don't want people seeing the nuts and bolts. You just want them experiencing right. the product yeah. and yeah. engaging with it. And ultimately, it's like financial services. It's kind of the opposite of of social media and everything. When all these apps are like engagement, how much time you spend on these things. You want ideally someone spending as little time as they need to on your banking app to do exactly what they need to do and then they can get on with their lives rather than having right. to scroll through menus and go through esoteric options and yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, th I think this the simplicity and kind of design kind of so the, the ui um and the cx kind of all working together all of these things and, and banking has you know like hired you know awesome designers from outside of industry to make things simpler, better. This is where the fintechs do a great job too, kind of advancing kind of the cause. So yeah, there's so much more to come. And the things, as I said earlier, are much better than they used to be. Yes, well, hopefully we can carry that positive momentum through uh, into the, the next few years. Well, unfortunately, whilst we could carry on talking about this for hours, that's all we have time for today. Um, so thank you so much to my guest, David Porter, Managing Director of Financial Services at Genesis, and to you for listening. To find out more about Genesis and their work and customer experience, you can head to genesis.com. That's Genesis with a Y at the end, not as in the band or the Bible. Um, so for FS Tech, I'm Jonathan Easton, editor of FS Tech. Goodbye. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you for listening to the FS Tech podcast.